Welcome to Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. My name is Jason Spies, and I'm your host today. Thank you, folks, for joining us this week on Building the Bakken, the most trusted energy brand in the Bakken today. As I mentioned a moment ago, Building the Bakken is part of the Crude Life Media Network. It's not a political program, rather an informational brand. No polarizing talk, just conversations about the facts of the energy industry. Here at the Crude Life Media Network, we generate positive energy. With programs like Building the Bakken, we're able to tell the stories of the people, the communities, and the companies, those that are within the industry, those that are involved with the day-to-day evolution of the Bakken oil field and the oil and gas industry. On today's episode, we got a fantastic program lined up for you folks. William Prentice gives us our weekly Davis Refinery update. Of course, the Davis Refinery, the first greenfield refinery being built in the United States in the last 50 years. And it's going to happen right outside of Belfield, North Dakota. It's going to add thousands of jobs to that area. And they're moving ahead with the Davis Refinery. We're going to be joined with William Prentice in just a moment. Uh, Also, later on in the program, Senate-elect and current U.S. Congressman Kevin Kramer. Fantastic interview. We talk a little bit about the Keystone XL Pipeline, the new EPA director, or the possibly soon-to-be EPA director, Andrew Wheeler. Federal view on energy, steel tariffs. Got a lot to put on the table with U.S. Congressman Kevin Kramer and Senate-elect Kevin Kramer. And then a little later on in the program, we talk with Tiffany Steiner with the API board. They've got a Christmas party coming up. Plus, they do just a bunch of wonderful things for the oil and gas uh, industry, as well as the local communities that they serve uh, with scholarships and different programs to help out different organizations. Tiffany Steiner a little later on in the program. All that plus much more this week on Building the Bakken Radio. My name is Jason Spies. This is Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. I'm talking, I'm smoking, I'm joking with the people that I know. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Spies. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. (laughs) This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise. Welcome back to Building the Bakken Radio Heard in the Crude Life Media Network. My name is Jason Spies, and I'm your host today. Up next, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, and they're spearheading the Davis Refinery in Belfield, North Dakota. Well, I, I think that by, by and large, uh, people in our country think of refineries as being dirty places. And, uh, you know, that's from, from their experience. Uh, and your average refinery in this country, the plant and equipment, is probably 40, 50 years old. So in some of the, even in California, which is known as being a state that's uh, very hard on polluters, uh, there are refineries here that were originally built the turn of the previous century, in the early 1900s. And it just, you know, it's, uh, it's, all, it's all big iron, and it's hard to change it and update it. Um, you know, you have advances in catalysts that, that will be much more efficient in turning hydrocarbons into fuel. 
uh, it's inefficiency that really gives rise to pollution. And you can't really go out and turn 300 tons of metal into a new thing that you can pack with a different kind of catalyst. So a lot of this old technology out there is there for keeps. Uh, we don't have that disadvantage. We don't have legacy facilities or technology that we have to stick to. We can adopt the new stuff with a blank sheet of paper. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like uh, being critical of the guys that operate these old refineries. You know, a lot of them do a very difficult job very well. And, uh, you know, my hat is off to them. But, you know, we decided to do it differently and start with a open piece of ground and a blank sheet of paper and take advantage of all the latest technology. And as a result, we can commit to having emissions that on a, you know, compare it to the industry average on a per barrel capacity basis, we're probably at one-eighth of the industry average in terms of pollution. I suppose it's a lot like um, when they started putting emission controls in cars um, in terms of, you know, that, that happened pretty quick. And you saw this drastic change in cars that were, you know, putting out some pollutants to where they just, really reduced it by a significant amount. Is that kind of what we're talking about here, that the technology has increased that much to where you're able to see a significant change like that? It's not this slow, gradual process like that I think a lot of people are are thinking where, no, this is is a done deal. This is new technology that's making it uh, more clean and more efficient and it's controlling emissions more than before. And I don't know if the car is a good analogy. I just remember you mentioned California. And I remember California when they got into their emission control, uh, you know, those little pieces that you put in the cars that really cut down on the amount of emissions that were being kicked out in California. Is that kind of what we're seeing here, that the technology has gotten really that far advanced to where it's going to be a night and day type of a, a, of a perception, I guess? people for that matter, uh, efficiency was not a big deal. Uh, you would have engines that, that ran uh, uh, fairly cool compared to current engines and a lot more steel than you really needed to move things around. And so gas mileage, you know, was not a big issue. They start packing a lot of those, call, those cars in the, in the confined areas and that pollution starts to build up. And then suddenly fuel is more expensive. You know, I, I don't want to date myself by telling you know, what, what I used to pay for uh, gasoline when I got my first car, but it was, uh, you know, the low double-digit cents per, uh, per gallon. Wow. And it's, what, 15 times that now in certain urban areas. And the same is true of crude oil in a refinery. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago the crude oil was about $10 a barrel. And, and, you know, pollution was not a big issue when most refineries were built. So efficiency was not a big issue. But think about efficiency and pollution. Uh, you talk about walking or, you know, going by many, many uh, industrial facilities now. What some people think is smoke is just steam coming out of a cooling uh, tower or something like that you very rarely see smoke because those are hydrocarbons. That's money going out the stack if you're really seeing it. 
Uh, same is true of the flare stack. Like people in North Dakota might see the flare at the uh, the Mandan refinery once in a while. Uh, that's burning up hydrocarbons before they get out into the air. And with modern design, those hydrocarbons don't have to be burned. Uh, and pollution should become marketable product. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an engineering malfunction. Uh, if you were to build a new facility that would have all of those attributes of an old plant, meaning high pollution, low efficiency. To listen to the full-length interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, or to listen to other Building the Bakken features, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Building the Bakken Radio is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All of those social media links can be found at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies. This is Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Spies. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. (laughs) This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise. You're my pineapple, baby, let me be your mango man. Welcome back to Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. My name is Jason Spies, and I'm your host today. Up next, Senate-elect and current U.S. Congressman Kevin Kramer. Kevin Kramer. And, of course, this is Congressman Kevin Kramer, soon-to-be Senator Kevin Kramer. Just um, when does that kick in, I guess? I know it's 2019, but uh, when does that officially kick in? Yeah, of course. I, I've known you for quite a long time. Where that's, I've known you back when you were Kevin and Mr. Kramer and Public Service Commissioner and uh, tourism Kevin, too. Kevin works for all of them. You were <laughs> tourism for a while, weren't you? The best job in the world, the most fun I've ever had at work was as North Dakota's tourism director. Oh, I could imagine. That's when uh, North Dakota was a blank spot on uh, America's consciousness. That's right. 
That's right. That's right. I loved it. Well, and thank you for reminding me, Senate-elect, because that that would be the proper term. But then again, you are a U.S. congressman, so we'll we'll maybe interchange them here. Um, We we did want to... ask you eventually about the transition kind of you know you kind of went over it briefly but just kind of how that that well let's start with that the transitioning you know you're going from the house to the senate you know we just had a whole bunch of uh, uh, new elections that happened elections some positions that got filled what happens over the next six months during the transitional part from for you personally but also for industry yeah, well, it's a really good question because it's it's an important thing that happens. The Senate transition is very different than the House does. The, the 435 members of the House of Representatives uh, right now are leaving their offices. In fact, my office has to be um, completely clear by, uh, I think it's November 28th, so next week. Um, some members are already leaving their offices. And that what happens is that they move into cubicles in the basement of, uh, of a couple of the office buildings while the maintenance staff prepares the offices for the next member, and the next member moves in basically a, a day or two before they are sworn in, which is January 3rd. The Senate is different. The Senate, once you're once you're certified, and that you know happened last week for me, and, and uh, really actually before that, but once once it's clear, you go to orientation, and then we get a transition office that will serve as our office not only during the transition to the Senate, but for the first three or four months of service in the Senate, because the senators don't leave their offices until their last day as a senator. So January. Second January third is when the uh, retiring senators will leave their offices, and then they don't open up until then. And then, of course, the maintenance crews go in and they paint and, and clean and do whatever else needs to be done for maintenance purposes. And then there's a sort of a chain reaction, and that means people move into the offices that are available. Just this is an example to sort of walk through it. Warren Hatch, who is like you know the, the president or chairman of the Senate, he's I think the second longest serving senator. He's been in his office a long time, which means he's got a very good, uh, prestigious office, probably, with a lot of room and a nice view and probably a couple of working fireplaces, who knows. But um, his office will be, you know, a prize for somebody. And when somebody goes to his office, that opens up their office and, you know, on down the line. So it takes a while for senators, new senators, to get into their permanent office. So we, we operate in a very nice uh, temporary office in the basement of the Dirksen building is where my office will be. Uh, interestingly, I've already voted for the leadership team. We did that last week as a, as a caucus for next year's conference or next year's uh, Congress. Uh, I've already, you know, sat through several policy luncheons with uh, Republican members of the Senate. I've had, you know, I've had my say on a couple of things and uh, I've gotten to know my colleagues. Uh, so, so really, the transition has already begun in earnest. I also have two full-time Senate staffers that are on board. Um, my chief of staff, Mark Newman, who's my chief of staff in the House, is also going to be my chief of staff in the Senate. He's already transitioned, so he's already a, an employee of the Senate in the office of the, of the senator-elect from North Dakota. The same with um, Rachel Beaning, who was my scheduler and office manager. She will do the same work for me. She's going to be administrative director, actually, of the Senate. She's already on full-time as a Senate staffer in the office of Senator-elect Kramer. And so it's, it's a very different process than the House is. Uh, the, the, uh, the Senate just takes its time, as we know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd imagine you'd have quite an advantage going from the House to the Senate as opposed to somebody, you know, just getting elected from, say, state government. I mean, not only do your movers have less to move from office to right. office, but uh, you're bringing a lot of those those contacts with you. Um, you know, have you thought about that, you know, that you're going to have a pretty good advantage over a lot of the other senators? You know, Jason, it's a really good point and a good observation, and it is a tremendous advantage for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is years of service in the House counts toward your seniority in the Senate. To put a more uh, clear illustration on that, um, the two there are, let's see, three, four House members that were elected to the Senate. So there are eight freshmen, four of us serve in the House. I have seniority over two of them, but Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee has been in the House 16 years, so she has the most seniority. I have second most seniority. But you know, it's really interesting. Of the other four, one's a former Attorney General, actually the Attorney General of Missouri, Josh Hawley, he comes in with no seniority. Uh, Mike Braun, a businessman from Indiana, comes in with no seniority. Um, and then we have two governors, Rick Scott, who has, I think, eight years of seniority uh, as a governor, because gubernatorial service does count, but not until after um, congressional seniority. So Rick Scott will come in behind me in seniority, and after him will be Mitt Romney, who doesn't have uh, quite eight years of service as governor, but he was governor of Massachusetts, and so he comes in with the fourth most seniority. So, so yes, service in the House matters there. The other real advantage is bringing the talent with me. Um, while not every member of my House staff may, will, will likely work for me, well, we know not everyone will in the Senate, but um, I think most of them are applying for jobs in the Senate. That, that they're, most of them are very talented, and I'm honored that they work for me. I think they're a big reason why I've been successful, and I uh, have a running head start by having people who are both from North Dakota and familiar with North Dakota, as well as familiar with Congress and the issues. Um, but you have... 45 to 50 employees in the Senate, whereas now she has about 15 employees. So it's you know, three times as many people. Uh, it's a lot more to manage, but you also get a lot more very specific expertise. But the other advantage, Jason, that you know, might be lost on some people, but it's just knowing your way around the buildings. And it's a very big complex. It's uh, it's a very uh, you know it's it's a very old complex, starting with the oldest part of the, the Capitol, of course, and that's got uh, basements and sub-basements and, and all these uh, nooks and crannies and routes of how to get around safely, and, and uh, so uh, there's a lot of advantages, no question about it. To, to Mr. Kevin Kramer, Mr. Senate-elect and current U.S. Congressman, Kevin Kramer, hold that thought for a moment or two. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the Senate-elect and current U.S. Congressman Kevin Kramer right here on Building the Bakken Radio. My name is Jason Spies. This is Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. Music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, 
Visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com and click on the Musicians tab. This is the Moody River Band. Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc.com. Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Speece. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. <laughs> this is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? Nothing. You need a raise. Over the past few months, I've told you about how unbelievable Hatch coaching is. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Christy Huber President of the United Way of Cass Clay says about Hatch coaching. Leaders like Eric Hatch are changing the face of what it means to lead an organization or what it means to lead a brand. He's changing that. To find out more about Hatch coaching or to have Eric Hatch speak at your event or company, visit hatchcoaching.com. That's hatchcoaching.com. Or call 701-212-1572. That's 701-212-1572. Well, I was two years old when John Lennon died. Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye. Welcome back to Building the Bakken Radio Herd in the Crude Life Media Network. My name is Jason Spies, and I'm your host today. Up next, we continue our conversation with Senate-elect and current U.S. Congressman Kevin Kramer. Is the uh, Keystone XL pipeline? I guess I thought that was a done deal, and then all of a sudden I saw, you know, that the courts denied it or something like that. Do you know what's going yeah. on up there with the Keystone? Sure. So it's a very, you know, it's a pretty problematic setback. Although the Keystone XL pipeline has so many starts and starts and stops and stops and starts and stops and pits and stops, and it's, you know, it's almost become. Um, to be expected, and uh, it's, uh, but it is unfortunate. So this most recent stoppage by the judge, this federal judge in Montana, I believe it was, in the Ninth Circuit, of course, um, it has to do with the, that the president didn't um, adequately consider climate change or something in, in the, oh, the no. uh, permit of the Keystone XL pipeline. The irony of that, of course, is that... <laughs> If you're going to consider climate change, if you're supposed to consider climate change, I don't believe that you have to consider climate change. Um, the the, uh, the Supreme Court in the endangerment finding said that that you could, that the EPA can 
considered uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but it didn't require them to in certain things. But, but with regard to the presidential permit, he only has to determine whether it's in the country's best interest or it's in the interest of the nation. And um, the reality is, is that if you're worried about emissions, the Keystone XL pipeline has the least emissions of any way to transport uh, crude oil, particularly from the uh, oil sands of Alberta, because the other two ways, train, railing, and of course, rail is like twice as much, if not more, emission, uses emissions, uh, twice as many emissions as does a, uh, as a, does a pipeline. And of course, as we know, trucks are like two and a half or three times more in terms of the emissions versus a pipeline. So if you're concerned about greenhouse gas emissions and climate change, you ought to be supportive of the Keystone Pipeline. But clearly this judge wasn't thinking about what about science or probably even the Constitution or the law, but rather he's an activist judge from the Ninth Circuit, mm. which is where there are lots of them. So, okay, that's, that's unusual. You don't have a judge think of the big picture. I mean, I, 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 I always think of um, the science behind how it's actually less environmental to use paper than plastic bags right. because of the transportation <laughs> and the cutting of the trees and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. uh, okay, yeah. well, that's it's it sounds like there's just more uh, kangaroo court stuff going on, huh? Well, that's the way it looks to me, Jason. Of course, the, the, the company will have to decide whether it wants to appeal to the Ninth Circuit or whether they'll have a hearing or whether, you know, the, the, it's actually the, the uh, federal government itself that's being stopped. So the president could decide to appeal it or they can do a deeper dive into the uh, environmental impact statement and the EAS or whatever all is involved. Yeah. And uh, in that process, consider, or in the uh, in that uh, environmental process, you know, can more, put more consideration in for climate change. But if they do that, what's going to happen is it's going to cost a lot more money, it's going to take a lot longer, but they will prove that, in fact, it is in the best interest of the climate to uh, build the Keystone XL pipeline rather than move this oil. Just just imagine this, Jason. That, that oil is going to find its way to a market. That's how markets work. Products that are in demand, wherever they are in the world, will find their way to the market. So rather than moving in a safe, secure, environmentally friendly pipeline through the United States to the, the Gulf Coast, the Gulf Coast where it'll be refined, it'll find its way to a, a, a train via a truck, which will probably the train will take it across the country of Canada one way or the other, and to a port somewhere, and it'll get on a big barge or ship, and it'll and then they'll ship it down, you know, around the southern coast, maybe through the Panama Canal into the uh, to the Gulf Coast, so for refining. Now I don't know how in the world that is better for the environment or for climate than moving it to a safe, clean pipeline, but um, they have no doubt if they if they take the process the judge is saying and put more consideration for climate change, they'll come to the conclusion that it's better for the climate, and by the way, it's just going to cost a lot more money and uh, take a lot longer. How about the new EPA director? Uh, I, I name the gentleman escapes me, replaced Scott Pruitt. Uh, do, do you know him at, at all? Have you met him? I, I do. It's Andrew Wheeler. He's very good. Um, Andrew uh, has a, a great background in energy and is a, a smart person. Um, he's. I would. I would submit to you that he's every bit as uh, right as um, Scott Pruitt is. Uh, he's got similar philosophy, I, I believe. I think he's, he's a solid um, thinker. Uh, he, he's probably got a little bit. Uh, he's probably a little more diligent than. Scott Pruitt was in the job. Uh, Andrew's a, 
he's always going to do the right thing as he sees it, and I think he generally sees the right thing. Uh, he's he's got good temperament to the job. He's got good relationships on Capitol Hill. Uh, I, I think he's been a, a very good. He's a good deputy. He's, he's been a good interim uh, administrator, um, and I'm glad that he's been that he's received the nod from the president. And, if I'm in a position at some point uh, to confirm him, I'll look forward to the opportunity to inquire further and to uh, interview him and, and hopefully make a decision to, his, to, to get him appointed full-time. That's that's true. I should point out yet yeah, it does still have to go through an appointment. Some of the headlines makes it seem like he's already um, the new EPA director, and but well, he is. He he's he's the interim, and so he just needs appointment. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. I just I wanted to add one more question for you involving steel tariffs. Um, there, it's starting to impact the energy industry a little bit now. At least I'm hearing rumblings sure. of it through the pipelines. You know, and even even construction, you'll hear some of the guys talk about the price of nails and things like that. My my point is, I think in this next 2019, um, you're you're going to hear a little bit more about the the impact of the steel tariffs. Are you hearing anything or an update on on these steel tariffs? Because uh, I'm starting to hear a little rumbling myself. Well, there's no question, Jason, that as time goes on, you're going to see a greater, uh, more consequential impact. Um, you know, as new Things are manufactured as steel is finds its you know its markets. Um, there's no question that the the price impact is is likely to go up. Uh, on the other hand, you're also seeing more steel plants in the United States uh, being ramped up. You're seeing uh, you know some of the old plants that have been that have been mothballed that are now being restored restored to active service. And so some of what the president wants to accomplish is actually happening now the other factor is that, that all of these are moving parts it's you know while none of this happens in a vacuum and a person might say well you know the uh the section 232 tariffs that deal with national defense are one thing the 301 tariffs are another thing and nafta is a different thing and you know the bilateral with the european union is another thing and while all of that is technically true i think we all know that everything's a negotiation and all of these moving parts one has an impact on the other and as we see more and more trade deals getting closer to being finished or we're seeing some that have been finished i do expect that um you know, we'll still see a little bit of uh, price increase. We'll probably still see some of these tariffs remain in place until such time as our president feels like we're getting a, you know, a decent reciprocal deal you know, globally. Um, but I also expect that there to be some relief as we finish off some of these trade deals. Uh, you, as you probably know, just as you're hearing more and more on the ground there, and I am as well from, from energy companies and others who use steel manufacturers of all types, we're also, um, you know, we're also seeing that more and more business organizations are trying to put more pressure on the president to not issue the steel tariffs or to lift the steel tariffs, particularly on our on our allies, whether it's the European Union or Canada and Mexico as part of the U.S.-Mexico-Canadian agreement. Um, and and while I understand their sentiment, and I certainly appreciate it and and agree with it to to a great degree. I also feel like, you know, when you publicly come out pushing for your president to do something in a particular negotiation, you weaken his hand. And I, I just see us stand with the president um, more in lockstep, if you will, uh, and 
in the negotiation with other countries, particularly with China, so that they are, you know, they're reading our newspapers, they're watching our media, and they're going, hey, look at that, the American business people, the American, you know, even the Republican Party members of Congress are, are on our side, not on the United States side. We can play tougher. We don't need to cave to this guy. We don't need to negotiate with him. We've got half of the country, of his country on our side. I, I think that's a problem, and I'd like to see our business community um, be a little more supportive and, uh, and help the president negotiate a better deal rather than tie his hands. To listen to the full-length interview with Senate-elect and current U.S. Congressman Kevin Kramer, or to listen to other Building the Bakken features, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Building the Bakken Radio is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All those social media links can be found at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. The music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com, and click on the Musicians tab. This is the Moody River Band. We all do what we do so we can survive. Now Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Spies. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. (laughs) This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise. Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Welcome back to Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. My name is Jason Spies, and I'm your host today. Up next, Tiffany Steiner, representing the API Board of Dickinson, North Dakota. Tiffany Steiner, API Board. Tis the season for holiday parties, so we got to check in with the API Group to find out what's going on. Uh, I know they have an annual party every year, so Tiffany Steiner, what's going on this year with the API Group? No, we're really excited. We're having our annual Christmas party um, coming up on December 1st, which is at the Ramada in, the, in Dickinson, North Dakota. Um, we start at 6 o'clock with a social, which is sponsored by Industrial Electric. 7 o'clock, we have dinner, which is really good because Ramada always has amazing food. And we're doing deep fried turkey and ham. And it is $35 in advance to pay for tickets and 40 at the door. And is, um, is this, um, I'm sorry, is this in Dickinson? Is that right? Yes, correct. It's at the uh, Ramada Grand Dakota Lodge in Dickinson. Sure, okay. And um, uh, live entertainment this year? Yes, yeah, so after dinner at 8 o'clock, we have Sada. 
and they are such a fun band. They get everyone out on the dance floor. I know last year people stayed till the end and danced all night long. Sawdust. So it was a lot of fun. Sawdust. They're kind of a, a, a popular band around town. I know they were at the Bach and Barbecue last year, too. Yeah, and they were just there a lot of fun, and they do a lot of fun music and all that kind of stuff. Um, a huge shout-out to Wyoming Casing because they sponsor the band for us. Um, and then anything after 8 o'clock on, da- on to 1 a.m., we have a limo service. So anyone that wants to take a limo home, if they've had a couple drinks, um, we definitely encourage to take that. And that's sponsored by Barranco Brothers. And that's a, that's a free service, right? I mean, is, yes. I mean, obviously, you should probably t- tip the driver type of a thing. I, you know, that's something I'll say. I don't, I don't know. I mean, but is that, uh, is that free? Is that right? Yes, it's free, but definitely tip the driver because he is such a great guy and he has a lot of fun with our members as well. But uh, Bronco Brothers does a great thing by sponsoring that and giving that to everyone that needs a ride home that night. We all want to get home safely. And what's the uh, uh, time frame on this event again? So the social starts at 6, dinner is 7, and then the band is at 8 o'clock. Okay, this is for the API Christmas party. It's not. There's not like an annual meeting. They're not going to go over the budgets or anything like that. This is just uh, no, c- come have some dinner no, and party no a little bit. No chatting about minutes or anything. It's all about fun, and we do a lot of prizes. Uh, we're giving away Viking tickets, um, a gun. I'm trying to think. We have a bunch of gift baskets, you know, brick house gift card, all that kind of fun stuff. So you pay $35 in advance. You get a great meal. You get an hour for a sponsored social, and then live music and a bunch of prizes. So I don't know how you go wrong there. And what, what's API all about? Uh, just talk to me a little bit about the organization and how people can possibly join if they're not members. So the API organization is the American Petroleum Institute. What we do is we get together monthly from... September to May, and we have industry speakers, so Kathy Nesset, Ron Ness, Lynn Helms. So they come out to our meetings, and they talk about what's going on in the oil field. So we have a social, a dinner, and a speaker once a month. The nice thing is uh, you pay $20 for the meal to get in, and then after that, you just have to pay a yearly, a yearly membership of $30. So this is all individual, it's not company. So we encourage employees uh, in the industry to come out and meet and meet people. And it's just kind of a fun night to be with other industry-related people. And you guys do more than the Christmas party. Um, I know there's um, a gumbo event. Uh, how many events or just kind of talk about a couple of the events that you guys do? So the fun thing we do, we try to stay very active in the community. We do the Christmas party, which we give back to our members. Gumbo, which is a big thing in Dickinson, we have over 1,500 people attend. Um, A bunch of companies get together, and they all cook gumbo, and people can pay at the door to get in and come try all the gumbo they want. Um, We also do a catfish fry and a golf tournament. Um, So there's a bunch of things that we do throughout the year that we host. But we also support, you know, like the Rock and Barbecue or the Tricker Trunk downtown Dickinson. Um, so we do a lot of things that we can give back to the community. And we also have a scholarship program that we give away 20000 plus to kids going to college each year. Trick or Trunk, is that new this year? I, I don't recall that in the past. No, I think they've been doing it for a handful of years. Okay. In API, we give out um, little kids gloves. 
and candy. And it's pretty neat because the kids will drop their candy bag to put on these gloves. So it's kind of a neat experience to see them get excited about something that's not candy. I tell you, uh, those those trick and trunks or whatever between the churches and a lot of the businesses and organizations, that seems to be what kids do now instead of uh, going door to door. At least that's what it seemed like in the last three or four years. Yeah, and it seems, and it's a lot safer too. You just don't know anymore. And trick or trunk is just kind of a, you get to go for a couple hours and you just keep going to, you know, each station. And it's pretty neat. There's a lot of people that come in Dickinson to that event. Uh, just ca- kind of give the bullet points and summarize it one more time. What's what's happening with the Christmas party? Dates, times, all that good stuff. Well, it's next Saturday, December 1st. Uh, we start at 6 o'clock with the social, 7 p.m. with the dinner, 8 o'clock with the band, live music from Sawdust. And anytime from 8 to 1 a.m., we have a limo service. It is $35 in advance for tickets or 40 at the door. To listen to the full-length interview with Tiffany Steiner and the API, Dickinson, North Dakota, or to listen to other Building the Bakken features, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Building the Bakken Radio is part of a very big social media network. we got 350,000 social media followers, energy enthusiasts, if you will. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All of those social media links are available at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies. This is Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. And that concludes another awesome episode of Building the Bakken Radio. And I would like to personally thank each and every one of you who listened and tuned in our program this week. There are so many options out there for content and entertainment today, and we are so grateful that you have chosen Building the Bakken Radio and the Crude Life Media Network for your option today. Again, thank you once again for listening to our program, our non-political, non-polarizing program known as Building the Bakken Radio. Now, was there an interview that you wanted to check out? Well, you can access past shows, features, and full-length interviews at thecrudelife.com. We would also like to invite you to be a part of our social media network. Join our ever-growing army of energy enthusiasts. We have quite a presence in many of the shale plays, like the Permian, Eagleford, Marcellus, Niobrera, and many, many more. It's all part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out. If you go to crudelife.com, click on our social media tabs, we've got a list of our social media sites, over 350,000 followers, We're strong, we're growing every day when we invite you to be a part of our social media network here at the Crude Life Media Network. Now, when you're at thecrudelife.com, be sure to click on our sponsors page. These sponsors make this program happen. Now, we've got some outstanding sponsors here at the Crude Life Media Network, and we ask you to please support them when you can. You know what, heck, just reach out and say hello sometime. That's nothing like a nice hello. Click on the sponsors page, Check them out, crudelife.com. Thank you once again for listening to Building the Bakken Radio this week. We will be back next week right here on this radio station at this time once again. My name is Jason Spies, and this is Building the Bakken Radio, heard on the Crude Life Media Network. Thank you once again for joining us this week, and remember, keep calm and frack on. You've been wishing you never been born. All I can say is that...
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Spies. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. (laughs) This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise. Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com.